Let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, um, we realize that uh, when we think about who we are, we're really nothing except that we're yours. And that makes us something. And we thank you for that reality this morning. Lord, as we open up your word today, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would just uh, reveal to us in each of our hearts that which you want to point out. Would you help me to speak hard words with grace and uh, ways that would bless the hearers of your word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to continue our series in uh, James chapter 4. Pastor Mark started last week in James chapter 4. We've been working through the book of James. And today we're going to look at the last four verses in the book of James. But, you know, I love this song that we just sang, Who Am I? And I'm reminded of the fact that when I think of who God is, I realize that I'm a nobody. It puts things in its proper context, doesn't it? Because if I were to be real with you, and I want to be real with you this morning... The fact is that I I think I'm pretty hot stuff. Now, I know many of you are sitting there thinking, why do you think you're hot stuff? Well, when I forget of who I am in Christ, and as much as I want to remember that, I usually don't. And I think good old Bob is pretty hot stuff. And, you know, I just... I just don't like when I do that. But the reality is, I do that a lot. And you may not see it, it may not be out overt, I may not say it out loud, but in the way I act, the responses of my heart to God and to other people, I'm pretty proudful. In fact, we talk about being egocentric. It's Bob-centric. It's all about Bob, right? I know some of you say, what about Bob? Well, it's all about Bob. And we, we can call it being egocentric. We can say, well, that's just being human. That's just being me. But in reality, God calls it sin. God calls this attitude that I have and I harbor within my heart, whether I hide it or if it's overt, God calls it sin. And God, the, the, the sad thing is, I shouldn't be on the throne. I have nothing in myself to be worthy as, despite all the cool things I have done, you know, I mean, really have done, I don't deserve to sit on that throne. There's only one who deserves to sit on that throne, and that's God. Well, today we're going to take a look at some of those verses in James chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's take a look at James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It's uh, page 856 in your chair Bible. And we're just looking at four verses today. And uh, basically, we're going to look at the area of, of pride in our lives, because I think that's really what the, the passage focuses on. And as I was preparing for this message, I was really convicted about my own pride. And um, I thought, well, maybe I should just read verses from the Bible about pride and about the proud and how much God despises it. I thought, well, that won't make a very good sermon. You know, and then you, you guys will think, well, I didn't even prepare. I just read verses. But I can't think of anything that would be really more powerful than to read verses from Scripture about pride. But here's what these verses say. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. 
Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. I think uh, this whole area of pride is probably this, my besetting sin. There's, you know, sometimes in Christian circles we talk about besetting sins. You know, that, that's that sin that keeps the Holy Spirit of God just kind of keeps on tapping you on the shoulder. Hey, you need to deal with this. You need to deal with this. You know what I'm talking about? And for a good old Bob who sits on his own throne, it's this area of pride. And I can't stand it being around people who are prideful. I hate being around people like that. And yet I know that I'm like that. And I know some of you, because I know you, I know some of you, you're like that too. And we might hide it, but it causes conflicts and it causes quarrels amongst us because I want to have my, you know, it's all about me. I want to have my way. And so we have to deal with this area of pride. Um, what, What I think we realize is just because we can do something and just because we've done some neat things, set some great goals in our lives, doesn't mean that we'll do them. Doesn't mean that we'll follow through on those. If you take a look at that first verse, uh, verse 13, it says, now listen. It's interesting that James points out, now listen. Because he also uses that same little phrase, now listen, in chapter 5, verse 1. So we're going to be looking at that next week. And he says, now listen. Now who is he talking to? Well, we remember the book was written to the uh, 12 tribes of Israel scattered throughout the nation. So he's talking to believers And he's saying, now listen. And as he talks about that, and even in chapter 5, he's talking about rich people, probably rich believers. And he's probably doing the same thing here in his first uh, uh, phrase in chapter 4. He's talking to rich believers. And he says, now listen, you who say that today or tomorrow. James is not impressed or intimidated by people who are rich. And he had rich people uh, in his church, churches there, In Asia Minor, there are rich people in our churches here today. Paul was neither impressed nor intimidated by them. And he was actually pretty wary of rich people. In fact, if you take take another look through the book of James, you'll see that James is very, very concerned with these rich brothers who take advantage of other people in the church. But the other thing is, as you look about what they did, it says, today or tomorrow... We will go into this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now, there's a sense of confidence there of these business people who maybe they were rich or maybe they were seeking to to get rich. But there was an air of confidence. But there's a point in their confidence where they cross the line and they become cocky. Don't you just hate when people get cocky on you? You know, you know it's, confidence is one thing, but when they kind of bring it up, oh, yeah, I've done, and this is how we might say it, oh, I've done it a million times before. That's not a problem. Oh, I've been to that city. I know I've got contacts. I've got relationships. I know exactly where we need to go to set up shop, do some business, and we're going to clean up. We're going to make a lot of money. There's something about that, of being confident, coming up with a plan, and being, and being cocky. And it's at that point that these believers cross the line and their cockiness becomes sin. So then in uh, the next verse in James uh, 4, 
uh, 14, he says, Why you do not even know what will happen. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Kind of reminds you of the song we just sang, doesn't it? You know, we're, we're nothing. We are a mist that appears for a We're a, a flower quickly fading. And uh, James brings that up. And I think James, as he followed his brother Jesus around uh, as Jesus' minister, I think James was probably reminded of something that Jesus said earlier in his ministry in a parable that he gave his disciples in Luke 12. In fact, let's take a look at that. In Luke 12, Jesus says this to his disciples in a parable. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man produced a good crop. Notice who produced the good uh, crop. It was the ground. It wasn't the man. It was the ground. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up for himself, things for himself, but is not rich toward God. I think James probably remembered Jesus talking about that. And I think there's a few things that we can remember here, a few lessons that we can learn about this whole area of pride. Pride presumes, doesn't it? Pride presumes that we can, first of all, predict the future. Pride presumes that we can predict the future. And think about that. Think about that. Just because I've been there, done that, just because I'm good at that, just because I have experience and gifts and talents and money and resources, we think it's, it's a done deal. It's as good as done. And the fact is, just because you can do those things doesn't mean you will. We tend to think that we can predict the future. The second thing that pride does is that uh, we make permanent plans. We think that our plans are permanent, don't we? We go in with confidence. We can go in with an arrogant attitude, and we think that the plans are they're, they're done. It's a done deal. We're going to do this. We're going to make this happen. I've made it happen before. I can make it again. But the fact is, plans change. And whether you're a rich man who's storing up wealth and building new storehouses to, to store those things, or you're going to such and such city to do business, has anyone noticed that the economy changed? Have you noticed that? I think some of you have noticed that. And it hurts. Things do change. Plans change. They're not permanent. And then the last thing that we can learn about pride is that we tend to think we can live forever, don't we? Especially those of us who are younger, we tend to think we can live forever. The first funeral I did here at Door Creek, and I've only been with you guys for four years, was a 27-year-old who died of brain cancer. 27. A few weeks ago, you know, I did a funeral for a 25-year-old who died suddenly. This week, I got a phone call at the office of a 29-year-old mother of one daughter who died suddenly. You know, when you get older, you, you, you realize that this, this stuff does happen. And reality teaches us that, you know, we don't live forever. But sometimes we have to be reminded of that. 
and that our pride and our arrogance can get in the way. Well, some, sometimes, you know, some of our best laid plans can come to naught, can't they? And, um, and yet sometimes we have those little hitches in life that change our plans. Have you had those life's little hitches that have happened in your life to change your plans? You had everything all planned out. You knew where you're going. You knew what you were going to do. And life has a little way of throwing in those little hitches. And we've all had dreams. We've all had plans. But sometimes they just don't work out the way we thought they would. Well, here's, here's something that happened to me several years ago. I had taken a new job, and we were living up in the Twin Cities at the time. I took a new job in Minneapolis. And uh, as I interviewed with the employer, they were offering me the job, and we were excited to, you know, to work together. And, um, but they had realized that I, I was in the Army Reserve at the time, and they realized that um, I had been deployed twice for two lengthy deployments. And so they were a little concerned, you know, okay, if you come on board and we're gonna, you're going to have to cultivate relationships and contacts, you know, for business and th- this and that, and we want you to be available. And if, if, if the Army calls you up again and, and you get sent away again, you know, then you're going to leave us in a bind. So could you, could, you, could you figure this thing out? So I said, yep, I, I'd like, I, plus my family doesn't want me to get deployed again, so I'll try to figure this out. So what I did was I... Um, I uh, looked for a job in the Army Reserve, and I found a job at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And it was at the Special Warfare School, where I then served as an instructor. And the good thing was, because I traveled a lot in my civilian job, the good thing was I could go to Fort Bragg in the summers and serve from three to five weeks and knock out my commitment to the Army in that time. And I didn't have to go, and, and you know, summer travel was down for business, so I could go there and get, kind of, get that all knocked out. It was a great arrangement. It worked great for a couple of years. My employer was happy. The Army was happy. My family was happy. I was happy. Everything was going great until that day, that fateful morning in September 11th, 2001. You remember that one? You remember where you were and what you were doing? Well, that 9-11 went down. And my friends, you know, started asking me, well, Bob, are they going to call you up again? Are you going to, are you? No, they won't call me. I'm a teacher. <laughs> I'm an instructor. They're not going to call me up, you know. I mean, teachers, they don't need teachers. They need, you know, trigger squeezers. You know, they don't, they don't need guys like me. They, they need, you know. And uh, Wade, our youngest, it was his birthday on 9-11. And I can remember him coming home from school that day, and probably much like your family, you sat around the dinner table and just processed the events of the day. And day, Wade kind of figured it out, and he said, Dad, are you going to go? I said, no, I don't think so, Wade. And he said, Dad, I don't, I'm not so sure. I think Wade, because he's already endured two long separations through deployments, understood the reality of the world events that just took place. And sure enough, within three weeks, I was gone. I was gone for a year. Third deployment, gone. And so we went through that deployment, another long separation, and uh, I came back to work a year later, came to the same organization, but they changed my job on me. You know, so, so they have to bring you back. I mean, that's, that's kind of by the government rules, they got to bring you back. But they changed my job. They said, well, would you do this? I said, well, do I have a choice, you know, basically. So I, I did this job, and I was doing the job, and it was an okay job. And I, I ended up doing okay in it. I, I did well in it. 
But in my heart of hearts, I thought, could I do this for the rest of my career? Is this really, really what I want to do? You ever have a situation like that? So, you know, you're paying the bills. You're, you're kind of going through the whole... And I, and I kind of like thought, okay, Lord, thank you for providing a job. Thank you that you're giving me some degree of success on the job. But in my heart, I just kind of wonder, if this, is this for me? And about that time, I got a call from a place called Door Creek Church. And they had a pastoral opening, and they got my name, and they, they thought maybe I'd be a good fit. And I said, you know, I'm not interested in being a pastor. I've never been a pastor. I'm not particularly interested in being a pastor. But because of life's little hitches... And because maybe I wasn't looking, the rest is history, and here I am. And we're still making history together, aren't we? And I hope I can stay with you. And even though I wanted to do other things or thought I'd do other things, I get to be a pastor. I get to be a pastor here at Door Creek. And if that little hitch of plans of having all my plans laid out, if that hitch hadn't happened, I don't think that my heart and my attitude would have been prepared to consider a job change, a career change, to be a pastor. And yet, I can't think of doing anything else. I don't want to do anything else. You ever had an experience like that in your life? How God takes those little things and those little hitches and just changes your direction. I think sometimes we just have to have an open hand in terms of our plans. It's a reminder again to me that just because you can doesn't mean you will. Well, let's take a look and finish up looking at verses uh, 15 and 17 through 17. It says in verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You know, sometimes around Christian circles we talk about, well, if it's the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will. You know, that's a good phrase. That's a, that's a good comment to keep in mind. Sometimes we flippantly say it and we don't think too much about it. But it's important that not only that we say it, but that it's a reminder that God is on the throne and that he should have supremacy in my life if I call myself a Christ follower. God has a claim on each of our lives. If you're a Christ follower here this morning, or even if you're not, if you're still looking for a relationship with Jesus Christ, God through Jesus Christ, God has a claim on your life this morning. And it says, by God's will, it says, if it's God's will. So what's the, the question is, what is God's will? Well, we could spend a whole other series on what defining what God's will is. But in light of our context today in scripture let me just propose this god's will is for you to acknowledge his claim on your life that's god's will for you to acknowledge god's claim on your life and to submit to his will that's god's will what's god's specific personal will for your life i don't know i'm trying to figure it out for my own life but I know in context of this passage it is for me to acknowledge his claim on my life and to submit to, to him. 
God has a plan for our lives. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, I love this verse, and many of you know this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's God's plan. And sometimes I just make my own plans, and I just blow off God. Like he doesn't even exist, like he's not even part of the picture and how it must uh, really hurt him because he has plans for my welfare to give me a hope in a future. Well, in verse 16 and 17, it says, As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Just for the record, I want you to know that God hates sin. And he hates pride specifically. In fact, God detests our pride. He detests it. In Proverbs 8, we read this. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. God hates it. And we're reminded by James as we go through the book of James, if you were, again, to peruse that again. In chapter 1, James talks about the fact that the the prideful rich will fade away. In chapter 2, he says that pride exploits the poor. In chapter 3, he talks about our prideful tongues. Remember that message about what we say? And isn't it interesting? That's where our pride shows up a lot, isn't it? Through our tongues. And God hates that. And then in chapter 4, what we looked at last week, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God hates our pride. Well, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, I talk about this tough topic, pride. I tell you, it's a thing I have to confess over and over again before the Lord. And as I talk about it, I realize my goose is cooked. It's done. What hope is there for me? What future is there for me? What about you? Do you feel that way? I might be able to stuff it. I might be able to hide it. You might even say, Bob, you're, you're really a humble guy. Well, I'm hoping you'll say I'm a humble guy. See, that, and that's my pride coming through, right? But the fact is, God knows my heart. He knows it's prideful. So how do I deal with that pride issue in my life that I'm probably going to have till the day that I die? And what's really scary is, as we relate together in the ministry of Door Creek Church as brothers and sisters in Christ, my pride can get in the way of communicating with you. Your pride can get in the way of communicating with me. And yet God has called us to do great things. He's called us to reach the world for him. And yet my, my stubbornness and my pride can get in the way. Well, I think there's really only two things we can do. I think number one is we have to acknowledge the fact that just because I can doesn't mean I will. And secondly, to acknowledge Christ's claim on my life and to submit myself to his will. And, you know, it's been my experience. You know, my, my kids reminded me after I turned 50, they said, Dad, how's it feel to li- having, have lived over half your life? <laughs> but it's from my perspective of being over the 50 mark is that even though I have plans and I pray and I plan and I prepare, which is all, all good. The Bible has a lot of good things to say about that. That I need to hold those plans in an open hand. 
And as I hold them before the God who has a claim on my life, and I'm open to life's little hitches, I find that he does some pretty sweet things. So you're going to see a little video here of Bob's life and how God's used the hitches in my life. 